What is creativity? And what are its origins? And how do we access creativity in our lives? This podcast explores the intersection of creativity, imagination, and everyday life. At this crossroads, we experience wonder and magic, and if we're lucky, transformation. Welcome to the Quotidian. This is The Quotidian. I'm Bradley Dennis. Today I talk with visual artist and traveler and tarot designer Ciolo Thompson about how seeing the world invigorates soul and creative work and affords multiple perspectives on both inner and outer worlds. We discuss archetypal imagery and the importance of intention in both creative life and everyday relevance realization. Ciolo is a writer and illustrator living in the Pacific Northwest whose work reflects her love of nature and travel and magic and books and food. She's actively published by Llewellyn Worldwide and has also worked for McSweeney's as the Angry Doodler, as well as Victoria's Secret, Facebook, Astrology.com, and many others. This episode is sponsored by carolinacommons.org, who exist to help individuals and teams and communities develop their creative voice and vision in order to help make sense and meaning in the world. Go to www.carolinacommons.org to learn more about how you can develop and enhance your creative capacities. And now, please enjoy the fearless and radically beautiful talent of Cielo Thompson. Cielo Thompson, welcome to the Quotidian. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me, Bradley. I'm excited. We're cool guys. This is going to be fun. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. How are you dealing with the pandemic? I mean, I, I'm assuming uh, this is a bad assumption to make that all artists are introverts, which is definitely not true. But I get the sense that you have sort of a dream of being inside all the time and doing your work or traveling. And <clears throat> yeah, I, yeah, I have that dichotomy. Definitely, I'm. Um, I'm a very like restless person. So I can be inside for a couple of months at a time if I have a a project and I always work in these big series. So you'll see on the wall here is the the deck I'm working on right now. So I'll do these series where it's like 64 pieces. So I can just like crank, you know? Um, And then I have to like, yeah, then I have to like leave the country for three months. Um, It's, it's a little challenging for me. Uh, Definitely. I feel claustrophobic. 
But then I did start getting out. Like I just came back from Italy. I was in Italy for six weeks, I think. Which produced a lovely Instagram feed, by the way. Some really cool drawings. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> you know, that was a really funny, it, it's funny how the universe throws you these things, right? So there's this, um, there's this awesome place uh, called the Santa Fe Workshops. And they, obviously they're in Santa Fe, as one might guess. And um, they do all of these like creative workshops and they've been known as a photography workshop place for decades. And they're really, really cool, super top notch. Um, but they've kind of been floating the idea to me of doing a class there that's like visual journaling or travel journaling or things like that. And I didn't feel like I had any authority in the field and, uh, you know, in order to teach that class. So I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to treat this trip as an experiment of like, what, what kind of content would I teach were I to do that? So, you know, I just sort of sketched and traveled and, and did kind of that and sort of thought about what it would look like to teach a class, which I haven't committed yet, but that, that may be, that may be something coming up. <laughs> probably. I probably will. Well, it's funny because, um, kind of inspired by those drawings, I shared them with my 10 year old who is constantly drawing, loves drawing. Cool. Um, awesome. and is especially smitten with foxes. So I was sharing some of the fox drawings, nice. but we, yeah. we got a couple books on, um, outdoor drawing, nature drawing, uh, and, and mm -hmm. started doing just a sort of a wildlife, uh, nature journal and very cool going through and drawing stuff like that. And yeah, um, so it seems like that's, that would kind of lend itself well that. to, yeah, for, to travel journaling is I just, think even if you're not, you know, even if you're not um, super skilled in drawing or whatever, there are so many ways to approach journaling that um, visual journaling that deepen your relationship with a place. Mm -hmm. So like, for example, you, you could just go out and go to a certain place and collect leaves from that place and trace the shapes of the leaves and mm -hmm. then identify them later. Like that's an aspen leaf, you know, and this is what this kind of pine cone looks like. And it just, I think it just helps you develop this memory and this kind of sensory experience with the place that's a lot deeper than if you just like take a picture and put it on Instagram, you know? Absolutely. It, uh, you yeah. know, I, I, when I was actively performing and working with my theater company, we traveled quite a bit. And one of the most memorable experiences I had was we were in Romania, in Sibiu, Romania, which incredible place. Mm. This was in 98. Cool. Um, and I found myself kind of across the street at this bizarre sort of five-way intersection on cobblestone streets and old Germanic buildings on either side and this beautiful old cathedral, well, church, big church, small cathedral. Yeah. And I just sat down on the sidewalk and started sketching it and stayed there for the next Lovely. two and a half hours. And, and it became like I, every piece of that scene is yeah. so firmly etched no pun intended in right. my mind and it's it wonderful it's wonderful yeah i think that mm -hmm. would be a fabulous class i would take that class yeah man i mean in a perfect world like if we get past this pandemic stuff i would love to take people places you know yes. like let's get five people and go to the czech republic and then just do that you know oh, and i think people amazing. get so caught up on this yeah, people just get caught up on this, like, I don't know how to draw. I'm like, that. Yeah. it's like, dude, you don't need to draw. That's not what it's about. Like, collect little pieces of paper, you know, take pictures and print them out on a corny photocopy machine and paste them into the book and then write your notes about where you were when you found that thing. You know, right. there's so many ways to approach that that can be just a really memorable way to move through the world. Absolutely. Um, since we've segued a little bit into travel, I'm really always interested in people and lives 
that travel and I know that you started your life quite a distance from the United States. Yeah, and I'm right. wondering how you think that wandering from Samoa to Bolivia and to the U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, influenced your creativity and and your identity yeah. as an artist. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think travel is well. I mean, I won't be the first or the last person to say this, but travel is always a wonderful way to overcome our kind of natural xenophobia. You know, we just have this, uh, it's, it's ingrained in us. We're herd animals. You know, there is this just this ingrained us and them sort of thing. And, and our identity as belonging to a certain place can be really positive in some ways when it's about Mm -hmm. building community. And it can be really negative in some ways when it's about fear of the other or, um, you know, not, living your life to the fullest because you're afraid to experience things. Yeah. So I would say one of the great gifts of my childhood is that um, I'm pretty fearless. Like I have no, I, I always watch these. I've actually auditioned for naked and afraid like four times. <laughs> I'm like, drop me in the wilderness. I'm fine. <laughs> it's cool. The, the idea is great. So I, I sort of do this to myself where I'll just be like, okay, I'm going to pick this random thing to go find. Mm-hmm. And I don't know anyone in that country. I don't speak the language and just, you know, just drop me there and I'll just go do my thing and wander around. And I like to do this as much as possible. I like to travel on foot yeah. because you're just the, the human pace is where you see the most, you know, you're, you're at the right perspective to the ground to be able to really appreciate things. Mm-hmm. And if I were like, even on a, even on a bicycle, although I do have some trips planned where I think I might, I might take a bicycle, even on a bicycle, you're going to like, you're going to miss the weird birds in the trees mm-hmm. and you're going to miss the really particular, like I love to document garbage because everywhere you go, you see different garbage and that yeah. will tell you anthropologically so much about the place you're in. You know, like I was walking around in Northern Ireland and I'm like, wow, the garbage here is really fascinating. What did you find? <laughs> totally different garbage. So there's this brand of potato chips called Tato. <laughs> and that was like the most common garbage thing was Tato. Then you get iron brew cans, which then I had to try it as the, it, I mean, sorry to any lovely Irish people listening, but that stuff is nasty. <laughs> it's so gross. Um, certain kinds of beer containers that you see, like they drink a lot of really cheap, shitty American beer in Ireland. That's sad to say that. Um, and then it was interesting as as the pandemic has kicked in, the garbage has changed. So like walking, going on long walks in, um, in Siena, I was finding discarded face masks everywhere. Right. And, you know, gloves and hand sanitizer bottles. And I was like, wow, this is really interesting because you can kind of see what's going on in the world just by like documenting the garbage in the ditch. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I hope to go back to just condoms and iron brew because <laughs> the masks were bumming me out. <laughs> At least we thought it was an iron brew. We were like high on sugar and having sex. <laughs> Specific uh, trail of misery that you see there as opposed to joy. Um, I know, right? You've I mean, made... I am against all litter, but, <laughs> you know. Absolutely. But at least it's there for you to, to read. Speaking of Ireland, you've, you've made some very specific um, pilgrimages and like the yes. round towers of Ireland. Um, and yeah, yeah. And that's, I'm so excited about that. The funiculars I'm really excited about too, but the, um, the round towers, I actually, uh, am working right now with this magazine called Enchanted Living, 
used to be called Fairy Magazine. Some of our listeners are going to know what I'm talking about. Um, and so they are actually publishing in the spring issue a humorous essay that I wrote about my time chasing these towers in Ireland. So I'm really stoked about that coming out because it's the first time I've had the opportunity to write an essay and have my sketchbooks published in this way. So it's, mm-hmm. and I'm hoping to do more of that. So yeah, I'm, I'm really, really excited about that. That's great. I do look like a, I come off as a complete fool, I'm sure, but that's fine. Not at all. <laughs> I, don't care about that. I mean, if there's anything to geek out about, travel and and heights. Because that's the other thing. Is, and weird, weird quests, man. <laughs> well, ta- yeah. So towers and funiculars. And what was the other thing? Yeah. Um, um, lookout towers. You have a thing for uh, look like yeah. s- uh, smoke towers, right. too. Yep. So I've been doing the smoke towers for a few years. Yeah. There's something about heights there. Yeah. Okay. So my friends all joke that I have some kind of weird phallic thing going on. (laughs) I'm like thrusting myself into the sky. Well, we're humans. All of us have phallic things and vessel things. We we can't help that. No, totally. Moving on. Totally. That is absolutely true. (laughs) And the beauty of a tower is that it is both phallic and vessel. Yes. Ah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, It's their their, uh, ways of marking space. I think there's also that idea of ascension. And then what do we do when we travel? For me anyway, it's uh, a lot of times it's a quest for clarity, mm. wanting to see further, wanting to just kind of open my sight to things. Um, and heights are a way to do that. So I love hiking, but my favorite hikes are, you know, as vertical as possible, mm-hmm. get to the top of something so I can like see the world and hopefully sleep up there and have this guy to myself. You know, like there's nothing better than that. Yeah. But um, I have another quest that has nothing to do with peen stuff. <laughs> so <laughs> this one, I don't know when I'm going to get to do this, but I'll show you this book that I'm reading right now. Um, do you know Basho? He's yes. a Japanese yes. haiku, yeah, mm-hmm. right, Japanese haiku poet, Basho. Yes, yes. And he um, was contemporaneous with Shakespeare, and I'm sure most people listening to this know this, so it's redundant. But um, all he twelve of did them did this. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> We're still starting out. <laughs> Eventually, in 10 years, when I have a huge audience, they'll say, yes, we know all about that. But anyway, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. I interrupted you. We can, can clickbait them into something. I mean, we can clickbait them with Basho. Who doesn't want to hear about Basho? Exactly. <laughs> anyway, he did this um, this pretty incredible trek that I'm reading about now. I've, I've read this book in the past, but I'm rereading it now because I'm starting to plan to actually do this where, I mean, it took him like 10 years or something where he did these travel journals through, it's called The Long Road to the Interior. And I want to recreate his journey, his journey, like step by step and sit in the places where he sat and sketched. And I'm sure that some of them are going to be, oh, now it's a parking garage, you know, and right. now it's just <laughs> a garbage dump. Um, Still, it's kind of like it, following the trail of trash. Absolutely. And there's so much, it's, there's so much beauty in that. And then I think it also has such a, a cool historical sensibility about it. Like, I'm sure, I don't even know what to expect. And that's kind of the joy of it too. I know so little about Japan. I'm not a Japanophile, mm-hmm. um, but I love his work so much. And he's been an inspiration to me because he does this kind of poetic form um, that's both drawing and haiku. So it's sort of this poetry mixed with haiku, which is like early comics, which comics yeah. are a huge passion for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I kind of want to recreate his journey and uh, try to find all of these spots. I know that it, in his book, he left on May 16th. <laughs> so if the world cooperates, I'll leave on May 16th. I don't know that it will. So it'll be May 16th next year, if not. <laughs> wow. Have you been Hopefully. to Japan before? No. So I've never been to Asia. Yeah. Ooh. And there have been times where, and this is, this is funny because there's like in a situation where I was in this 
gnarly near-death situation with some friends. We did some stupid things when hiking, got ourselves horribly lost, had to sleep on the top of this cliff in the middle of the ocean. I mean, it was very, very bad. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, I can't die. I've never been to Asia. May's anyway, we didn't die. Up. So. May is coming up. There's a, um, actually, I can't, I can't remember if it's a cable car or a funicular that goes up to the, the mountain on Hong Kong Island. Um, it's which a funicular. Is, it yeah, is. it's one of those epic ones. Yeah, and that's it's the one of the only, like, world-known ones. Yeah. That's, the, that's the only one I've been in, and it was oh, cool. late at night. Yeah, I've, that's the only place I've been to in Asia is Hong Kong. Um, what did you think of Hong Kong? It was amazing. Uh, it was the only place I've ever had a panic attack. And oh, really? Yeah. Huh. So I went um, with uh, a a performer. You actually might know him. His name's uh, Larry Pizzoni. Um, Amy Denio, um and I and Larry Pizzoni went to Hong Kong to do his show. And we got cool. to the hotel. I get there. I need a haircut. In the morning, I go down. I'm horribly jet lagged. And I go into, mm-hmm. I finally find a salon that'll cut men's hair, get in there. And of course it's August. So it is hotter than hot, more humid than you could ever possibly imagine. And the pollution was crazy. And then as Mm. soon as you go inside, it's air conditioning, like a deep freeze. Uh And so you get this body shock and I, I sit down and I point to a picture. This is what I want my hair to look like. I it suddenly dawns on me that I am halfway around the world. Mm -hmm. Nobody knows where I am. I'm oh my you know, God. that 16,000 miles away from the nearest person I know. And the world just kind of went like, I just Ooh, like, yeah. okay, <laughs> this is the point where you breathe and you realize that you are the universe and the still calm center right. of everything. Right, and, right, right. and you can get through this, but it was so bizarre. It was just like, that was the yeah. only, I mean, I've traveled all around the world and I've had lovely experiences mm-hmm. and I've been in very crazy near death it was just that feeling of isolation that totally yeah. and everything was fine. And I had a great haircut and right. we had great shows. And I just went think about the- how much, how much data you were trying to process at that moment. New exactly. smells like intense, uncomfortable body stuff, language, your brain was probably just so overloaded with yeah. stuff and like trying to process it all and like find patterns and like, ah. <laughs> yeah, man. Absolutely. Yeah. The brain is Absolutely. amazing. It's so funny how you can just like, you can you can feel that way if you, th- if you think about it. You go somewhere where you don't speak the language, and all the signs are different, and you know the streets are different. You don't know when you're supposed to cross or how to cross or which direction to look for cars. And right. yeah, my method really getting really killed bad. in Edinburgh. Just, yeah. Oh, totally. You can talk. <laughs> Did you almost? <laughs> oh yeah, uh, like crossing the street, yeah. looking the wrong way, and going. I, you just look the I wrong way. And like just had that moment of about to step out, and I just like there's something wrong here. Yeah. And I just stepped back and a car yeah. just whizzed right by me and went, Oh, it happens all the time. People yeah. seriously, Americans get killed all the time in Britain. Cause they'll just like turn the wrong way, step out into the crosswalk and look the wrong way and just get hit by a bus. Boom. Yeah. It's so much data to process. Ugh. It's ridiculous. But we are pretty amazing animals. I think the best method for dealing with that is, uh, is to, is to not try. So like I'll go somewhere new and I won't look at a map. And I won't try to remember anything. I will just mm-hmm. walk around for two days and let myself get lost. Mm-hmm. You know, and just have like an address in my pocket. So if I get too lost, I can just jump in a cab or, you know, ask yeah. someone. 
but just wander and let your brain do what it does, put things into categories. And and you'll find over a couple of days, it kind of just sorts it out and you have your own map, you know, yeah. it's pretty cool. And then, and then the really cool thing, sit down and draw the map of what you are thinking, like what you remember that the area that you're in to be and see how it corresponds with the real map. <laughs> like Dennis That's the Menace. <laughs> Wait, how's that Dennis the Menace? I did not grow up in the States, so like I'm I'll just Okay, I'm sorry, it's not Dennis the Menace. It's it's Family Circus. So okay. in the Family Circus is a, a sing- usually show, right? a single panel Sunday morning like Sunday uh, comic. comic kind of thing. Sunday comic. And they had these single panels where it was one of the, you know, there's like six kids in the family. They're all huge heads in this suburban thing. And it would be a map with a dotted line throughout the neighborhood, like a, a blown up sort of bird's eye view of where this kid went in the neighborhood. Nice. And it was just nice. this dotted line <laughs> that would show, you know, all these crazy things that kids get up to, you know, That's riding so a bicycle cool. with one tire flat and ending up in someone's yeah. yard and digging up a flower and finding a bone, being chased by a dog, all that stuff. So. Right. Right. I love that. So I'm, I don't want to pigeon you hold you as the tarot lady. Like that's, I've yeah. seen, I've done a deep dive on, on your web presence and I've seen a ton of yeah. stuff and that's clearly just like part of, of everything. But it also really, mm-hmm. the reason I wanted you on the episode was because of everything that surrounds that work and surrounds mm-hmm. divination. And so one of the things I'm most interested in talking to you about is your relationship to divinatory practice and and why it's important to you. And then also as someone who is so focused on creative work and seeing through that lens, how that, Mm -hmm. that practice and intuition works together, both in your, in your life and in your art, which is kind of a big question. We can divide it up, but does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's funny because the question I get most often about the tarot decks and things like that is, do you really believe in tarot? <laughs> you know, people are always asking me that. <laughs> Just to answer that specific question, I believe in everything. Like I literally believe in everything. I am, I am, I am all about all things. Um, but here's the thing about tarot: it's you don't need to believe in it. You know, you don't need to see it as a divinatory thing. It doesn't need to be predictive. Tarot is a way for people to ask themselves questions. And I feel like actually this might resonate with you as a Quaker. Um, I think it's a way to lead an examined life. And what else should we be doing other than leading an examined life? You know, to sit down daily or weekly or whenever it is that you do it and ask yourself questions about your motivations and your desires and why you want what you want and, you know, whether that's really healthy and, you know, where other people fit into these things. And I think fundamentally tarot cards are first and foremost, a tool for self-examination. Yeah. You know, and I think that there are a lot of things that can also fall under that umbrella. For example, I'm not a Christian, but I think that prayer can very much fall under that umbrella, Mm -hmm. you know, sitting down to think about who we are and, and why we're doing what we're doing and, you know, if you do want things, I think there's really a moment where you're stopping to reflect and say, okay, I'm I'm asking for these things in my life, but am I living correctly to receive those things? You know, all of that. That's never bad. Like, how can you not believe in that? If you don't believe in that, I don't know what you're doing with yourself, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and then when it, when it gets more, when we get deeper into cardomancy and divination, um, 
I don't know is the answer. Like, it, I think it really can be very meaningful for some people. And for some people, it just isn't something that they connect to. Um, but I think there's also on the spectrum people that are incredibly spiritual and kind of in tune with stuff that's going on that other people might be a little, you know, a little blind to. And that mm-hmm. definitely whatever, however it is that you classify that. But I think anyone that sits down and says, I do not believe in this. Aliens don't exist. Magic isn't real. You know, the only thing is real is the things that we can see and touch. It's just arrogant. <laughs> you know, it's just really dumb. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, okay, so anything that's outside your understanding and oh my God, everything is outside our understanding. Like Absolutely. I don't understand trees like i mean i i love trees and i and i have read a lot about them and i you know understand kind of the principles but i don't understand all of like what is a tree's you know relationship with fungi what is a tree's relationship with certain kinds of soil you know are there neural networks that are operating that are absolutely outside our understanding yes yeah is that magic fuck yeah it's magic <laughs> you know mm-hmm. is it also science yes i don't see any difference between science and magic absolutely. you know science tries to address the unexplained um and magic also tries to under, un, address the unexplained. And anything that that we've thought of, like electricity is magic, magnets are magic. Um, I'm all about science and sort of delving into that and trying to understand and be able to use those things in certain ways. But I'm also just willing to stand in awe of of things. You know, I don't need to understand them to be able to embrace them. And sometimes, man, I've had you know, I like to read for people, not that often because I, I find it pretty taxing, but. I've had amazing readings for people, you know, and that might just be that, that I was listening well and they were speaking mm-hmm. well. And we had a moment of communication where the end result was greater clarity. That also is a kind of magic. But then also there's like things like, oh, you will meet a horse tomorrow. And then boom, they meet a horse. So, you know. <laughs> And this is interesting. So I, I, I'm swimming in this stuff right now. I'm also in grad school studying depth psychology and creativity nice. okay. and the relationships okay. of the two. So um, yeah. one of one of the things that I think it was on your Etsy site. Mm. Mm, can't remember exactly what it was, but it was a either a spread of cards or it was something and mm-hmm. it was on one of the images from Jung, Carl Jung's Red Book. <laughs> uh, you saw the Red Book in there. <laughs> and I saw the Red Book and I went, I've got to ask her yeah. about her relationship yeah. to the Red Book. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Nice spot, man. That you. was like a secret clue to the club. It was really, I, uh, I'm in it. I, in fact, I just got yeah. my copy, the large format copy. Nice. And, nice. Um, that is so yeah. funny because I just, uh, I was looking for my Basho book earlier and I, um, and I, the red book is like upstairs in my other office. And so I like took it out and I was dusting it and I was like, yeah, there's a, there's a lot, there's a lot in there. There's a lot in there that's complete wackadoodles, but yes. there's also some really, really interesting stuff in there. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I think um, we can't get away from Jungian archetypes when we talk about tarot. Yeah. So I think that that is the most salient and obvious link. But I also think that, um, I think this is probably true for you as well as me, is that any of us who are involved in the creation of narrative are so intrinsically aware of, and to some extent dominated by this notion of these archetypes. Mm-hmm. And obviously Jung did so much work on that, that it's, you can't ignore him if you're doing that kind of 
you know, of that right. kind of study or that kind of writing. Yeah. Um, he was also big into, into tarot and spiritualism and well, you sure. know, yeah. Yeah. And you know, the red book itself is an example of deep, deep dives into active imagination <laughs> and intuitive. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I was just thinking about that earlier. I was thinking about how the, um, the red book and things like that are, so Basho's, um, text his his travel journal is called narrow road to the interior Mm -hmm. and i was just thinking when i was when i was dusting off the book earlier jung's book i was thinking that it's in some way it's a travel log for a different kind of journey like a true journey to your own interior and -hmm. that there is that element of travel log to it you know this exploration of of deep interior and yeah i mean i could see how people might think jung and some of the other sort of golden age spiritualists took things a bit too far but well, it was the golden age of spiritualism. I mean, you had, you know, yeah. Thelema and yeah. the Golden Dawn and Yeats and all of those. Oh, totally. Arthur Conan Crowley Doyle. And, I mean, yeah, can you imagine were, how much fun it would have been to, to just be a fly in the wall and that stuff? You know? I, I think or about for it us to be like frequently. behind the scenes. I would have liked to have been a waiter at one of those things to just, you know, serving people yeah. their absinthe. <laughs> Watching them get gnarly, just get really weird. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's funny that you should mention about the interior, the journey to the interior of the self, because one of the things when you were talking about travel and quests and you like to climb, you know, the steepest mountain you can. Mm-hmm. And I was mm-hmm. really curious to sure. ask you if, if you set intention before you go and if that process, if, you know, the hike, the travel, all of that. Mm-hmm. It's obviously metaphoric in some ways, like you just described, but how do you, is that an intention that you set ahead of time? Like I am ritualizing this experience and I am opening myself Mm -hmm. to, to something new. Yeah. And I'm going to be super woo -woo here for a minute because yes, that is absolutely true. And I definitely see these quests and I do like to call them quests because that's just such a great word. Yeah. But it's also how I play video games. I'm always going to choose a quest video game over, you know, any other kind of video game. Amen. Um, yeah, I love questing. Uh, the hero's journey is something that doesn't really end, you know. Like, you you go on so many hero's journeys in your life. And, like, mm-hmm. for me now at this point in my life, I'm kind of moving out of my reproductive years. And I'm going to be moving into this next phase where I'm, you know, sagacious <laughs> or just a ridiculous crone <laughs> but i just feel like there's so many there's a new kind of hero's journey ahead of me i'm really excited about that and these kind yeah. of physical quests are often a way for me to process new ideas about myself and kind of what's happening with my body and what's happening with my time on earth and my awareness and my relationships with people so mm-hmm. that's very much true and then okay this is I'm not going to say cone of sense. I'm going to say cone of podcast. I also do this ridiculous thing, which I don't know. I, I treat my quests as a kind of tribute piece. So I'll always um, go with a wish where it's mm-hmm. like, I'm going to go and do this with this desire in my heart of like, so for example, I walked across England from one side of England to the other, starting at the Irish Sea and then walked over to the North, North Sea. You brought a pebble with you too, I believe, right? Yeah, exactly. So my kind of wish that I was carrying was for Lion Strider to be successful. Mm-hmm. And that was the wish that I made standing on the beach. And I left um, an offering to a particular deity and I carried this rock and, you know, 
and brought it to the other side and kind of completed this quest and made a little bonfire. And yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's magical thinking, but I think that ritualizing things in your life is one way of bringing them to completion. Like I had done the work and put it out into the world. And then what am I supposed to do with all the anxiety I have about that project when it takes six months to go into stores? You know? Yeah. <laughs> I know. Walk across well, England. <laughs> well, I think, you know, you, you, you say magical thinking, but I, I also think that that almost trivializes it to a certain extent because there's, there's something very important about intention, right? And, and mm-hmm. I've, people who do regularly listen to this podcast are going to be really sick of me talking about this, but there's a, a neuroscientist and psychiatrist in England. His name is Ian McGilchrist and he's, he's written some incredible books, but he says, attention is a moral act, which Mm. is Mm. to me is, has been kind of a paradigm shift that because especially nowadays and a big part of what this podcast is about what I'm trying to do with my new work and as an artist and as a creative is Mm -hmm. to help give people new perspectives on creative energy and how that is a way of refocusing your attention. So something, Mm. you know, given the fact that our people are vying for our attention so loudly and so passionately and for commercial ends or whatever it is throughout the world, that we have mm-hmm. to be so careful and it's a finite resource. Right. So something like creating an intention and and holding that is a skill, mm-hmm. I think. And oh I agree totally. I and agree it's, totally. it is something that, you know, like you even said when you're traveling and you're you're mm-hmm. in a new place, you don't speak the language, all these unfamiliar signs just let yourself wander and let yourself get lost and let yourself absorb something like that's an intention. I mean, I think we're kind of living in this era of, you know, epidemic anxiety too, you know, and it's, it, people have so much anxiety. And I think part of that is because we're so unfocused, like there's so much demand for our attention and we're so Mm -hmm. divided in so many ways, you know? And so this, this issue of intention, I think can be a very healing thing. And for me, the formula is, Take my anxieties about something. So for example, is line start is the line started tarot deck going to do well commercially? Take my anxiety about that. Place it into an object. The denser the better. So I chose a rock. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then walk. You know, just do something physical where you're not online, you're not thinking about, you know, all of this noise. You're just simply walking with your anxiety and just being with it in this literal mm-hmm. kind of way. I, don't, I mean, we are very, we're very symbolic creatures, you know, we're very totemic in that sense. And I, I think this, this whole notion of, of intention can be a healing tool as well as an empowering tool. Absolutely. We're also very anthropomorphizing too. So we project oh, totally. Totally. ourselves onto the rock. We project ourselves onto others. We project ourselves onto the world, which is where that subject object split comes in, where that whole, that sort of scientific need to break things down to their smallest mechanized portion comes yeah, from. Absolutely. I think it's pretty healthy to not fight that too much, you know? Like there is this sort of part of me as, you know, a fairly intelligent person who respects science to want to discard magical thinking because it's like, well, it's really woo-woo and I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to be a big hippie all the time. But it is it is powerful to us. It is the way we're wired. 
you know, and there is kind of great utility in embracing that and being able to learn to work with it within your own system and what feels genuine for you. And I don't think that you can really come into your own as, as an artist, um, especially in the kind of in the realm that I'm working in without being willing to tarry with the unknown, because that's what I'm doing, you know, so I have to be open to that. And it's easier for me to think about like the Nordic all fathers. It's easier for me to think about strong sort of animal spirits and, and kind of, I think that's where Jung has actually been really helpful for me in a healing way is because it gave me a framework that wasn't mm-hmm. Christian. I mean, it's still Judeo-Christian obviously, but it was, it's a different way of thinking about myself in the world and other people in the world that isn't just like Jesus, you know, yeah. the Holy Spirit. <laughs> this might be blasphemous to Jungians, but I would love to see a Jungian tarot deck with, with Jung as the emperor. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that would look like. Yeah, I, think, I think it's more it, like casting him as the hero font is probably the more done thing. Yeah. Like because he is sort of this teacher. I think he would have cast himself if he had the choice of casting himself in a tarot deck. I think he probably would have cast himself as the hermit, even mm. though um, he's not that hermity. But I think that's how he saw himself as like this right. man apart. You know, <laughs> he had his own. He, he did a lot of self mythologizing too. So. <laughs> well. You know, and this is kind of back in the, the tarot theme. I just today looked up the Otherkin deck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which yeah. was really refreshing. Um, you know, where for people who haven't seen it, it's animals basically taking the place of, of the human counterparts. We in I guess would it be yeah. would the traditional deck be the rider weight? It's a is it's that- a rider weight smith. Um, definitely within that tradition. And then the animals are almost all kind of hybrids or chimeras of some sort. So it'll be like, Mm -hmm. I think the judgment card is a, is a bear with the body of a human. And, you know, there's some mermaids with fish heads and human bodies. The hierophant is an owl, I think. Exactly. It reminded me a little bit of, I don't know if you're familiar with Philip Pullman, his work, his dark materials, that whole series in, in the, the diamond the demons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I love those was, books. It was just really refreshing to, cool. to see that. And I thought it might be nice to have, um, I think with tarot representation can be so tricky, you know, right. Cause it is so personal. And as the querent, you really want to see yourself represented in a deck and it can be so difficult. Um, because I want to do that work in terms of like, you know, making sure there are people of color in a deck and, you know, making sure there are queer and like non-gendered people in a deck. I also don't want it to feel forced. You know, I don't want to be one more deck that's just like, I'm really forcing this particular point of view to where it's, to where it's artificial, you know? Yeah. So uh, with, with the other kin that gave me a lot of freedom to kind of do something that is different kinds of representation. So it's more the spirit of things that you feel rather than your physical body. But yeah. I will say like this deck that I'm working on now is a Kipper deck and it's all pretty, it's like the gayest thing I've ever done. <laughs> it's super <laughs> queer. <laughs> it looks very aquatic from here. Yeah, it's aquatic. So it's all, it's, so it's called the Seaborn Kipper deck and it's, mm-hmm. you know, this German, it's really esoteric German system, but everyone in the deck is one only part human because they're part fish part human whatever you know like all kinds of weird permutations of that and then most of them are gender queer of some sort all of the couples are you know mixed 
gay, straight, non-binary, asexual, whatever, you know, so it's, Mm -hmm. it's really fun to play with that. One of the things that I wanted to ask you about was your process of researching mm-hmm. the symbols in these, yeah. because obviously you you you're familiar with the decks, you're familiar with you know we talked about the Jungian archetypes and 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 there are in sort of that Joseph Campbell sense there are through lines <coughs> of these symbols, but you are also yeah. developing a relationship to these symbols, and so mm-hmm. how do you? stay true to the the deck yeah the history of the deck the intention right. of the deck and at the same time making it something that speaks to you speaks mm-hmm. to others so can you talk a little bit about yeah. Yeah. how you how you go through the process of both researching and selecting and right depicting? um i think if you 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 can't really go down the tarot rabbit hole um, without getting into the old Italian Tarocci. Like you have to go there. It's, you know, you have to go medieval. Like you can't just start at the writer Waitsmith because you're really missing a lot if mm-hmm. you do. You know, so you go back to kind of Tarocci and you go back to um, some of the earlier like uh, German and um, playing card systems where they're just reading based on playing cards and you need to understand those correspondences. Yeah. So... Like I could give you a basically a tarot reading with a playing card deck. So obviously, like Major Arcana is not included in that, but there, but all the other cards correspond fairly neatly. Um, mm-hmm. And that's a system that was used for centuries, you know. And then there was like the Lenormand system. So I have a Lenormand deck, but that that came about accidentally. I didn't plan to do a Lenormand deck. It's just in my research. I learned so much about Lenormand. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, I might as well just, I might as well just do it now that I've done all the research. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then I think once you have kind of that base, you can start connecting the dots and find, find decks that do kind of speak to your aesthetic as an artist or to you as a practitioner. And it's so individual, you know, like I have, mm-hmm. um, I have a Toth deck, but it just doesn't read well for me. Cause it's just not the right energy for me. You know, like they have their own kind of thing. It feels it feels a little dark and a little heavy and a little masculine. Like I have Salvador Dali's deck, it's and, you know, and it's very just dark, vibe. very heavy. Yeah. 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 I actually, that was the first <laughs> deck that I ever actually, is that true? I think it was, it was the first deck that I ever got was the, was the Toth deck. Yeah. And when I found out how the sort of circumstances of the paintings, how they were created mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and Lady Frida Harris's ordeal. Yeah. I actually burned, I burned the deck. Oh, wow. Interesting. I was, I was like, I don't want any part of that energy. I don't want it near me. And and I was like 19 at the time. Mm -hmm. It was just, it was, and that was an intuitive thing. It was just like, right. I can't, I can't give this to someone else. I can't just Mm -hmm. put it in a cupboard. It's like, Mm -hmm. I need it out. Yeah. And then I've had a a rider wait for a Mm -hmm. long time, but I just started reading again and decided that I needed to give the Toth a try again and got another deck and have a completely different relationship to it now. Oh, interesting. I'm I'm 51 (laughs) and I was 19 then. And so I'm able to balance those energies a little bit better. And, and, but it's interesting too, to, to hear you talk about 
those objects as having energies and to mm-hmm. because that is an intuitive act right, right right to to hold something to look at it and say you know in the same way that language certainly not english but mm-hmm. romance languages have gendered nouns right this <coughs> yeah. this is masculine this is feminine this is neutral yeah that uh, it makes perfect sense that we would do that with these mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. um I'm not sure if I'm forming a question out of this, but yeah, I find no, it interesting too that you the, have that response. Yeah, I think one of the one of the ways that we know ourselves is through our aesthetic choices, you know. And like yeah. you'll you'll go to someone's house and and it'll be like pink and purple and blue and you know red carpets and, and those are all choices that that they may be making on a, maybe even a subconscious level. But there's so much that we can know about that person through those choices and that they can know about themselves as well. And I think the same is true also for objects of worship, you know, like, or, you mm-hmm. know, objects of ritual, the kind of things that you choose in your aesthetic choices can, can really help you understand yourself too. So if like, I don't know, I mean, I have a very trivial reason for not liking the, the Pamela Coleman Smith work. And that's just because I, I really react poorly to um, primary colors. <laughs> just like, mm. I'm just not into primary colors. So for me, like looking at that, yeah. I was like, ah, <laughs> I put on black and white glasses. <laughs> but then, yeah, I mean, if you're honest with yourself, like if you pick up a vase, it has, and, and this, I mean, it sounds pretty hippie, but, but there's also, you know, if you look at sort of Japanese traditions of Taoism, for example, they're there's a lot of philosophy around the spirit of an object. You know, it could even be, you know, to them it carries over into something like a toaster or a chair can kind of have yeah. presence and spirit. And <laughs> I just stabbed myself with a porcupine quill. Okay. That was, Oh, big. wow. That's impressive. Do you paint with a porcupine quill ever? No, no, I was, um, theoretically one could, cause it's hollow. So you could probably pick up ink with it and do like, scratchy ink things um i was up in the mountains in siena looking for uh, a wild boar to talk to and um i remember this story (laughs) yeah i think it's in my sketchbook (laughs) i was just like trying to find these wild boars i had a wild i had a wild experience in that town though this little tiny town there i kept having this dream (laughs) about i kept having this dream about this triangular God who would come to me. I was just calling him Cracker Man. I would have this dream every night. I was in this tiny town up in the hills of Tuscany. Every night I'd go to bed and this thing would appear, this like triangle, like little hands. And he wouldn't say anything, but he'd always be like asking me to follow him into the woods. And so I would follow him into the woods and then we would find cats and boars and have this magical woodland experience. It turns out that like the the God of the place is this crazy, this, this crazy, um, it's like Neolithic era character i'll send you a picture of it it's very funny it looks like a it looks like a a, but it turns out they actually have it so they actually have this 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 thing in the archaeological museum wow man yeah also the most adorable that's amazing i have ever seen yeah i mean it's very possible obviously the pragmatic person in me is like well maybe i saw a poster like somehow something got in my mind and yeah and i'm and and that's fine it doesn't matter how it got there that's still because for like four nights cracker man spoke to me and then i went and saw him and i was like oh my god there he is he's the most adorable thing i've ever seen yeah oh that's incredible it's funny because i had the sense as i was writing questions for this that 
you must have the most intense deja vu frequently. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I do. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so I, I do as well. And for me, it's, and it's exceptionally pleasant. Mm -hmm. What's the experience like for you? Yeah, I'd say in general, um, in general, it's pleasant. It's sometimes I feel frustrated because I feel like I'm supposed to be remembering something that I was like an action I was meant to take or so sometimes mm -hmm. there'll be an element of something being just out of reach. Um, but that's also not unpleasant because it's mystery, you know, and who doesn't love a good mystery? <laughs> but yeah. yeah, I'm not a good person to measure by because like I see janky stuff all the time. I'm like, I'll see out of the corner of my eye, like some little black creature running around, I'll turn around and be like nothing there. <laughs> and I'm fine with this. Like, I don't, I don't see it as a, as symptomatic of any kind of pathology. Well, I think you may just be more finely tuned. Yeah, or I just you're, have you're a lot of strange, small, <laughs> I have a lot of strange small ghosts that live with me. Maybe because they just know they're Running welcome. You know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm interested. I'll, you know, I leave little tributes and things. But yeah. Well, this kind of leads into another question that I have, which is, um, what practices besides tarot? Mm -hmm. do you have in your life that help you connect to something larger than yourself? And obviously the travel and, and sort of setting intentions for travel are one yeah. of them, but are there any other that come to mind? Yeah. I mean, I do, I do have some very private, like I don't, I don't belong to any kind of a pagan community. Um, mm -hmm. I think, and that's one, a schedule thing. And then, and two, I just haven't really, interacted with people where I was like, yeah, I'd like to do ritual stuff with you, but I have, I have rituals. I do, I do. And a lot of them are around intention setting, you know, so I do sort of yeah. on the solstices, you know, every solstice I do set intentions for myself that are very, very time specific. And then, you know, I'll let go of things. And, um, I'm pretty, I'm pretty interested in, and I think especially with having spent a couple of years researching winter seer and Celtic and, and Norse culture and that kind of a lot of the, the traditions around that. Um, so like I've, I've gone to, um, kind of the far South of, of Ireland and left, um, offerings for, you know, for the hags and done, you know, that kind of thing that, that felt, mm -hmm. yeah, that felt important and sort of, um, I love the idea of pilgrimage, you know, even, mm -hmm. Christian pilgrimages or Catholic pilgrimages or, you know, whatever it is, it's a, it's a, it's a journey of the soul that you're taking with your physical body. Um, and so I do a lot of that yeah. kind of thing. And, and some of them are sometimes even on a very small kind of daily level, you know, like sometimes I'll just walk for four hours, you know, where it will be yeah just random in like neighborhood kind of things with just the idea of taking a journey towards something, self-awareness or truth or compassion or whatever it is that I need to be kind of working on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I, I'm not opposed to actually joining. I think, I think maybe at this late stage in my life, I might finally be ready to like join some kind of a community of belief. Yeah. Dare I say church. <laughs> if it were the right kind of people that were really community focused and focused on, you know, joining together to bring greater good in the world in some way, you know, I'd be open to that. You may check out those Quakers. I might have to. Yeah. I've liked most Quakers I've ever met. So, yeah.
And this, I don't know how long it's been since you've done these, but I wanted to ask you about your portrait series. Oh, yeah. Which is still kind of front and center mm-hmm. on your on your website. And mm-hmm. they're big pieces and they're mm-hmm. very um, intense. And to, the word that came to me was the sovereignty of childhood. I mean, there's yeah. obviously, that's one of the subjects, but yeah. that's the one that stood out to me. Yeah. Um, that series is really close to my heart. Um, I think the yeah. thing that I was more, so I have a son and he's, mm-hmm. you know, born and raised in Seattle. He's off in college now. And, you know, it just, I sometimes, I grew up with such privation and such like food insecurity and, you know, such like just grinding abuse <laughs> that I found as mm-hmm. a young mother. And I had him when I was so young, you know, it, as a young mother, I found that there were times that I really had this well of resentment towards him and the other children, these children of Seattle, these golden children that are going to these little poofy private schools where the, you know, class size is five and, you know, and they have every possible advantage in the world and they never know what it is to like not have food. And, and there were times, and I, and Mm -hmm. I did that series as a way of processing those feelings. And so I painted all children, I painted all children that I knew um, and I painted them as Kings and, and that, and, you know, as royalty, because yes, they have everything, but also like we are expecting them to save the world and the weight of that, you know, like that's kind of what I learned through. I'm going to like tear up a little, like thinking about this, but the weight of that responsibility, yes, they have everything, but it is there as a generation. It's interesting to talk to a lot of these kids because they're so, a lot of them are really aimless right now, you know, like in their early twenties, they're lost. Yes, yes. They're just like really lost. They don't know what to what to do with themselves. And I think a lot of that has to do with this expectation that they're going to save the world and they're going to like save the environment. And, and it's there's this kind of crippling dichotomy of plenty that um, that those paintings addressed for me. Um, mm. You know, I think we I, it's still something I think about a lot, especially when I'm talking to Connor, my son, when I'm talking to his friends, like. Luckily, he has a bit more direction than some other kids his age. But some of the kids that like, he went to school with are just, they just sit around and smoke weed all day and have no idea what to do with themselves. And it yeah. is this kind yeah. of tragic thing. You know, it's like there's almost this expectation that what, what they're supposed to be doing is so grandiose that it's crippling. You know, they can't Absolutely. just be people. Yeah. Yeah. So, under I mean, the weight of all that. It's hard to, yeah. to craft an intention when someone's mm-hmm. already done it for you. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Like, yeah. oh, you've been given yeah. this, all of this. And like, you're so aware of all these problems of the world. And what are you guys going to do to save us? <laughs> you know? I mean, it's, right. really, it's pretty messed up. Um, but anyway, I, I used that, the process of just sitting with these children and painting those portraits over a period of, you know, I think it was like a year that it took me to do those portraits, um, just to sit mm-hmm. with those feelings and, and process them. And, um, and talk to the kids too. And just like, just tell me what, how you see your future, you know, like what, what do you think about this and that and the other, and just see them as, you know, sort of a little bit victim of their circumstance too. Um, so yeah, <laughs> that's a long answer to our question, but it was, it's I don't beautiful. need to draw my it, paintings anymore of, of, of the children. <laughs> They're all grown up too. Yeah. So. Have you found your creative work has helped and or hindered your life as a parent? Mm, that's interesting. Um, <clears throat> I think that my 
son's life is richer for having had a parent who was um, not just an artist, but an artist that was very active in the local art scene. So he grew up Mm -hmm. in these little underground galleries, helping me hang shows. Um, You know, from the time he was six, seven, eight, he was going on, you know, music video shoots and helping me like paint backdrops and do all of this stuff. And so he has um, a really wonderful vocabulary when it comes to the arts and he knows all these people and he has his own relationships with them. You know, so I'll often get, mm-hmm. I'll often get, <laughs> I got one this weekend that was like, that was for Saturday night. That's a, you know, like a Grammy winning musician who is a lovely, lovely person and, and invited me to their birthday party with the specific caveat that I should bring on. Because <laughs> 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 he said he's just a cool guy. He's just a really fun person, you know? And he's so yeah. smart and he's like, he's really, um, he's really intelligent about uh, drama. And so he knows like he mm-hmm. can quote Ibsen and Shakespeare and he's just very, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I can't take credit for all of all of the interesting things that he is, but I definitely think there were times when I thought it would have been better for me to live a straight life. And I tried for a while, I became an x-ray tech and I did that for years to kind of put food on the table and buy a house mm-hmm. and all that stuff. Um, but I think that it's my artistic life that has opened more doors for him and has been more of a parental boon than any of my like financially responsible behaviors (laughs) luckily the two are not morally exclusive you know they're not mutually exclusive You know, do what brings you joy. And maybe that's coding and that's great. But if it isn't, like, you don't need to panic about that. You know, I I hate this messaging we give kids that are like, focus on STEM, you know, focus on these like financially viable things. The arts are a financially viable career. Yeah. Okay. You, you, maybe you're not going to be making millions of dollars, but you could also, it's not out of the question, you know, like there are ways to be an artist and to also um, be fiscally intelligent, you know, like that man, if I could teach a class as a class, I would totally teach. It was like, hey, let's look at income streams. Let's look at like, what are you passionate about? And how can how can we create passive income? How can we do these things that allows you to maximize the amount of time you can do doing the things that bring you joy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Right. And explore who I they mean, are. I mean, such a gift we have to give to our children too, is to to help them value that in themselves, to see it and value it. You know, it's, it's this kind of underplayed thing where people are like, Oh, you're creative. Like you can paint as a hobby. No, man, this is like an essential thing. This is your strength. This is what makes you an innovative thinker. And maybe you choose to go and apply it to, you know, building AI systems or whatever it is that you choose, but, but it's such an essential gift, you know, to have the ability to think creatively, to have the ability to connect ideas or to connect people or whatever these things are. Yeah. We're mm-hmm. definitely the best parents. Just <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Anything can be a toy. Oh, totally. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> Anything can be a toy. So as we're wrapping up here, Ciolo, um, my final question I always leave folks with is, um, is very light and fluffy. What is the question that's not being asked right now? Mm. Um, I think we, we are all in the world, uh, 
asking ourselves when things are going to go back to normal. And I think we really need to accept that the world has changed and we need to figure out how we can reconnect in this new paradigm. You know, and it's, it isn't Zoom. (laughs) I don't think it's technology, but we need to really be thinking hard about how do we build that, that sense of like, face-to-face community and and community narrative and communion and fellowship um, in this new world. I don't know what it looks like, but I know that, that it's vital because it is the it is the foundation of empathy, it's the foundation of compassion, um, and we have to figure it out. Amen. All right. <laughs> Amen. We all join awesome. a church. <laughs> yeah, or start one. Some kind of church, yeah. Yeah, or start. Awesome. I've been thinking about that. I was actually thinking about um, for a while here in Seattle. My friend Casey Weldon ran um, this thing called the Drunk, which was just a drink and draw group that met once a month. But it was just such a, it's just a, such a positive thing, you know. It just gave people a place to go and be together that was kind of unstructured. Or there's this other thing that that mm-hmm. runs here that's um, called like the Silent Reading Party, where people just they have a book where it's like I think right now they're they're doing Dickens. And they just go to one specific place and they read together in silence, you know, <laughs> just like things to kind of rebuild that sense of connection to each other. Yeah. Yeah. I need to do some of that because yeah. I know that it, I'm capable of, of building groups and of energizing people to come together, but it's so easy for me also just to hide in my house and do my little work and, you know, for sure not do that. Yeah. So the hermits yeah. must pick up their lanterns and come down from the mountain mm-hmm. <laughs> and do the workshop. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. That's Do the workshop. We, <laughs> we've got it right here. Yeah. So uh, how, how can people get a hold of you, find you in the oh, world? Yeah, it's, it's super easy. So um, it's CLO Thompson. CLO, there are like two other people in the world with that name. And one of them is a bodybuilder for Jesus. That's not me. And the other one is like a professional <laughs> volleyball player, which also not me. <laughs> so I think also for Jesus. <laughs> I don't know how you play volleyball for Jesus. Um, you can just Google me. My you know website, I'm on... Um, I'm on, uh, yeah, so Ciola Thompson is my website. That's my Instagram handle. I just went back on Facebook to kind of promote some writing stuff that I've got coming up. We'll, we'll put all the links too down in the, below the, uh, the podcast as well. For sure. Yeah. Ciola, thanks so much Thank for you, really. taking the really time fun. and chatting. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Right. And, I look forward to uh, uh, talking to you more online and maybe we can like do a workshop and write a teleplay sometime or something. <laughs> I love it. I love that. Yeah. Thanks again. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Riley. Have a good night. What do we have in common? We breathe, we eat, we sleep, and we dream, we love, we cry, we fight, we make up, and we play. Play lets us discover new parts of ourselves. In play, we expand our potential, we feel safe, we trust. In that safety and trust, we experiment with what we can imagine. Better art, better us, a better world for ourselves, our families, our friends, our communities, our shared humanity, a common good. That's what Carolina Commons does. We take the world away for a while to give people the chance to see new perspectives, to listen to new voices from others and from our own internal worlds. 
before rejoining and participating in the world renewed. We help people, teams, and communities connect to their inherent creative voice and to re-envision the world. With new skills, new voices, and new visions, we can help one another create a better future. Visit www.carolinacommons.org to learn more about how you can take your imagination, innovation, and problem-solving to the next level. Carolina Commons. Uncommon creativity for all.